India accidentally bombed Pakistan the other day. The other day? India has said that it accidentally fired a missile into Pakistan this week. This week being the week of March 11th. Okay. Blaming a, quote, technical malfunction, unquote, for a mishap that could fire up tensions between the nuclear-armed neighbors. I don't know if you know this, but India and Pakistan are never on great terms. They kind of hate each other and are always just like a few steps away from war. So it's not a good thing to be launching a missile at your enemy, unless you're at war. No, I wouldn't think so. The missile, which was fired Wednesday, damaged civilian property but resulted in no casualties, luckily, according to Pakistani officials. The two countries, which have clashed for years over the disputed territory of Kashmir, have seen relations ease slightly after agreeing to a ceasefire last year in the area along the so-called line of control. The line forms an official border across which there are frequent skirmishes. The Indian Defense Ministry said in a statement that a missile was unintentionally fired on Wednesday during the routine maintenance and landed in Pakistan. While the incident is deeply regrettable, it is also a matter of relief that there has been no loss of life due to the accident, the ministry said. Pakistan's foreign office summoned the Indian envoy in Islamabad on Friday to lodge a protest. A day earlier, a spokesman with the Pakistan's military said a high-speed flying object fired in the Indian city of Sursa crashed at 6.50 p.m. on Wednesday in eastern Pakistan near the small city of Mian Chanu. The flight path of the object endangered many international and domestic passenger flights, both in India and Pakistani airspace, as well as human life and property on the ground, Major General Babar Iftikhar told a group of reporters. The incident, he said, shows India's disregard for aviation safety and reflects very poor on the technological prowess. He added that the incident could have resulted in a major aviation disaster as well as civilian casualties on the ground. India and Pakistan have a history of conflict with the two sides fighting three major wars as well as smaller conflicts with Kashmir at the heart of these disputes. Each side holds part of Kashmir but claims the whole of that territory. Each regularly accuses the other unprovoked weapons fire across the disputed border. The attacks have escalated in recent years, killing dozens of soldiers and civilians on both sides. India and Pakistan came to the brink of war recently, as as recently as 2019, when India said it bombed a militant training facility in Pakistan and Pakistan shot down an Indian jet fighter. So was this really a mistake? That's always the question, especially with this, but that I, if it wasn't a mistake, I would think they would target something a little more high value. Is there any warning? Were they like, whoops? No warnings at all, which is hilarious. It's not in this article, but the New York Times, I'm reading a Wall Street Journal article. The New York Times article, which is a lot longer, so I wanted to shorten it a bit, basically outlines that like Pakistan had to go out front of the media and basically say, um, India fired a missile at us and didn't say anything. Thankfully, it didn't do anything. So we're going to be the bigger party here. Have they said anything at all? They finally said, like, this is regrettable, but it happened. Okay, they did say something. I thought they were just going to pretend and pretend like they didn't, like, never happened. Basically, it was the equivalent of saying, whoops, my bad. But several (laughs) days later, when somebody finally brought the question. Like they were forced to or else. Yeah. I guess. I mean, it's a few days late, but nonetheless, at least it's acknowledged and this has not resulted in war because we got enough war to Whoopsie daisy. We'll just chalk this up to boys being boys and move on with our lives. Yeah. So are they okay with this, Pakistan? I mean, it's two weeks later now and no war has started. And no accidental bombs going the other way have been spotted. And I'm sure India would let us know. 
because that is the line of command when it comes to accidentally shot missiles is the person that you shot them at apparently reports them to the media yeah and then the other one goes to the media and is like whoops several days later okay and they let that text message sit on red for like a full day (laughs) before they say yeah i can relate but yeah, since we've been talking about war, I thought it would be an apt intro here. We will update you guys if anything does come about from this, but I think we're far enough away now that it's safe. Let's get on with the episode. From the unexplained to the mundane, come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, here to reclaim the fringe word from those damn theater kids. Today, from whence we came, we will return and delve. Last time, it was just mostly on the power generation that we're worrying about. Today, it's the movement of said power that we'll be focused on. So without further ado, I think I'm just going to get into the topics, go through a few weaknesses of the infrastructure grid for power movement, and maybe give you a few takeaways from there, but mostly just scare a bit of the shit out of you for a while. Okay, I guess I'm ready. Yeah, okay, let's get to... This shouldn't be a surprise for you, you've already heard it all. <laughs> it's spoiler alert! So Chelsea touched on this a bit when she's talking about power plants, but hacking can happen to the power grid as well. Not just that infrastructure though, and it's in different creative ways that I just don't think you can attack a power plant for. We're gonna get into that here with one that actually happened fairly recently known as the Colonial Pipeline. Now this happened in 2020, so a lot of you remember it, and it's in Texas and it affected the entire Northeast Coast. The Colonial Pipeline carries gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel from Texas to as far away as New York. But 45% of all fuel consumed on the East Coast arrives via the pipeline system. The attack came amid growing concerns over vulnerability of infrastructure, including critical infrastructure, to cyber attacks after several high-profile attacks, including the 2020 solar winds hack that hit multiple federal government agencies, including the Defense, Treasury, State, and Homeland Security Departments. The attack occurred on May 8th and basically just shut down this pipeline and they were unable to ship any oil out of Texas for uh, the East Coast to consume. Is it that electrical that they like really rely on things not to be hacked? We're going to get to how they were able to do this. Okay. They fully could have continued to, they chose not to. Okay. I didn't know any of this though. In response to fuel shortages at Charlotte Douglas International Airport caused by the pipeline shutdown, American Airlines changed their flight schedules temporarily. At least two flights to Honolulu and London had fuel stops or plane changes added to their schedules for a four-day period. The shortages also required Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport to use other fuel suppliers, and there are at least five other airports directly serviced by that pipeline. Fuel shortages began to occur at filling stations and panic buying as the pipeline shutdown entered its fourth day. Alabama, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Carolina all reported shortages. Areas from Northern South Carolina to Southern Virginia were hardest hit. Hard to keep that all straight when there is a North Carolina and a West Virginia. It's why you shouldn't use directions to name a place. You shouldn't really. (laughs) 
They were hardest hit, with 71% of filling stations running out of fuel in Charlotte on May 11th, and 87% of stations out in Washington, D.C. on May 14th. Average fuel prices rose to their highest point since 2014, reaching more than $3 a gallon, which, talking from today, doesn't sound that big, but it was big for its time. That's cheap. Yeah. The primary target on the attack was the billing infrastructure of the company. So this is the part I find existentially hilarious. The actual oil pumping system was still available to work according to CNN sources in the company. The inability to bill the customers was the reason for halting the pipeline operation. Colonial Pipeline reported that it shut down the pipeline as a precaution due to concerns that the hackers might have obtained information allowing them to carry out further attacks on vulnerable parts of the pipeline. The day after the attack, Colonial could not confirm at that time when the pipeline would resume normal function. The attackers also stole nearly 100 gigabytes of data and threatened to release it on the internet if the ransom was not paid. It was reported that within hours after the attack, the company paid a ransom of nearly 75 bitcoins or 5 million American dollars if you want to use a real to the hackers in exchange for a decryption tool, which proved so slow that the company's business continuity planning tools were more effective in bringing back the operational capacity. There was absolutely no impact on moving oil. The actual hack was on billing people. So they were unable to make money on the oil and that's why they shut down the pipeline. That's crazy. I guess it makes a lot of sense though if you look at it from the point of of a soulless consumerism. Yes, really it just makes you realize what really is the big hacking infrastructure that people need to worry about. It's like QuickBooks. Because if people can't pay, things just stop, apparently. But like, that doesn't make sense though. So gas goes up and they could bill people more for it. They still couldn't bill them because they didn't have the billing function at that time. So they just stopped shipping. That's so crazy. It's not like, yeah, we'll figure it out once we get this done. It's like, no, nobody gets gas because That really shows like how in the palm of their hands we are. Yeah. For everything, I guess. They can stop it for any reason, literally. And it wasn't really, an, it was a manufactured run on the gas stations too, because Biden ended up releasing the oil reserves and basically making sure there was no shortages, but people still panic boss. Of course they do. So yeah, Biden signed an executive order 14028 on May 12th, increasing software security standards for sales to the government, tightening detection and security on existing systems, improves information sharing and training, establishes a cyber safety review board and improves incident response. The United States Department of Justice also convened a cybersecurity task force to increase persecution. Prosecution, sorry, not persecution. So that's kind of the response that came from this. The Department of State also issued a statement that a $10 million reward will be given out in the case of information leading to the arrest of the members of Darkseid who actually did this hack, it's still unclaimed to this day. Who would want to claim it? I mean, somebody who wants $10 million. Mm, but they already got a lot of money in Bitcoin. Well, they only got $5 million in Bitcoin. Mm, maybe it's India. <laughs> maybe it's India. And they're like, whoops. <laughs> I haven't seen the text yet. <laughs> But I just, I find that as an interesting story just to add on to the hacks that you were talking about last week in that, like, this is something I would never think about actually hacking, but this 
brought the entire east coast of the U.S. to a standstill for weeks. And it's not even hacking the ability to move the oil itself. Yeah, like imagine if they actually targeted that. Like I'm sure there's something on there to stop it, but like that's probably whether like this is the weakness, and that's the whole thing. No, about that is the weakness. I was just gonna say the weakness is not getting the oil out. The weakness is not being able to pay for it. Yeah, hundred percent. That's crazy. So that's the big hack that I just wanted to bring up because a lot of people will remember that, and it's a different kind of. Now, hacking isn't the only thing that can put a strain on the power grid infrastructure. There are also drone attacks, which we talked about last time, but they can still happen here. I love this story because it's just so weird. By the way, we're, I'll tell you when they catch these people, a lot of these stories that we're going to talk about today, nobody knows who did it. Just that's how I'm going to leave it. Should we be following these stories? Maybe. I don't know if they're ever, like, there is no information involved in these stories. Okay. So this is a drone attack that happened on in July of 2020. A DGI Mavic 2 drone approached a Pennsylvania power substation. Two four-foot nylon ropes dangled from its rotors, a thick copper wire connected to the ends with electrical tape. The device had been stripped of any identifiable markings as well as its onboard camera and memory card in an apparent effort by its owner to avoid detection. Its likely goal, according to a joint security bulletin released by DHS, the FBI and the National Counterterrorism Center, was to disrupt operations by creating a short circuit. The drone crashed on the roof of an adjacent building after it reached its ostensible target, damaging a rotor in the process. Its operator still hasn't been found. According to the bulletin, the incident, which was first reported by ABC, constitutes the first known instance of a modified uncrewed aircraft system being used to specifically target U.S. energy infrastructure. It seems unlikely to be the last. When it comes to the potential for consumer drones to wreak havoc, experts have sounded the alarm for at least six years, saying that their broad availability and capabilities provide opportunity for bad actors. In 2018, explosive-laden drone carried out an apparent assassination attempt on Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. ISIS and other terrorist groups have also used consumer-grade quadricopters for both surveillance and offensive operations. And that one in Venezuela, I'm just going to throw it out here as somewhat slander, but also probably true. It was the U.S. and its harebrained ideas for assassinating Maduro. That's just all of them are. And their defense, whenever they are asked about it, is that, yeah, if we really wanted to kill him, he'd be dead. So it wasn't us. <laughs> Good enough, I, just, I guess. Yeah. The U.S. has its hands in some weird stuff that's not in the U.S. that we've yeah. talked about on this podcast before. I actually um, quite like looking at the Venezuela ones, though, because, like, they are so half-assed. Like, they're, like, brazen. Time. They're, like, let's yeah. just try it. Don't yeah. care. Let's just try it. And they recognize not the president of the country. Well, what's his name? Juan Miguel? Juan Miguel? Elemento. Something like that. No, Something like that. They recognize him as the president. He's never ran for president. He refuses to because he says the votes are rigged so he doesn't participate. And the U.S. is just like, yeah, he's the president. I don't see why you guys don't believe us. And like there's, I believe it was after this 2018 one, there were mercenaries from the U.S. that got caught by fishermen trying to make it into the country to overthrow the president. Oh my God. That doesn't like... That's the episode today. So... <laughs> I don't even know what to say about the U.S. Like they... They are so secret in the United States. They're like, we don't even care when we go to South America, Central yeah. America. We don't care. We don't care. But if we want them to be dead, like we're just, we're yeah, just having it, fun. Exactly. Like, that's, 
It's not us. Don't believe yeah. that. Drones are like apparently like such a major threat that I had no idea about. Well, and this guy, like he changed this one up. Like he made these like big arms that had a copper wire between them so that they would specifically short circuit a transformer. Which is totally different than the drone attacks that we saw in yeah, my episode. Exactly. Like, this one is totally harmless to an everyday person. This one is literally meant to short circuit things. Yeah, and add it to the list of, we should be terrified of drones, first yeah. of all. Any drone you see, probably up to no good. But that's concerning that they're making them to short circuit like our power. I like my power. I've realized I really like to have power and I don't want anyone to come screw that up for me. Don't take it away. So the Pennsylvania incident here represents an alarming escalation in drone use stateside. The US has had incidents before. A drone landed on the White House in 2015 and a recent surge in drone sightings near airports and other critical sites has sent the FAA scrambling. Until now, those intrusions could be written off as accidental, but no longer. And I find it hilarious that like for a while, it was just like people seeing what stupid shit they could get away with with drones. With that, people have gotten brazen. And I do think this has a lot to do with extremist attacks on the rise in the US, but we're gonna talk about that part in a bit. I am surprised it's taken- Yeah, I agree. Well, nobody knew like what, like it's like me. Like I was like, yeah, drones are fine. They take like nice pictures and stuff like that. But then like, I think that's what everyone thinks of them now. Like nobody really knows what they do. Probably like I, I yeah. maybe I'm just- You see them at like, um, they use them as replacements for fireworks now sometimes where they put on like- Yeah, a, like a at Disney, they flight. use drones yeah. for their fireworks. But like, apparently there's, they've had to put so many restrictions on them. Like they're doing some crazy stuff. And we've talked about a lot of crazy stuff about drones on our podcast alone. Imagine what else is out there yeah. that we're not talking about. And just so that everybody's aware, when we're talking about like infrastructure for the power grid, there are millions of kilometers or millions of miles of structure that needs to be protected. If you just happen to have a drone that you could retrofit with something like this, there's no way to actually defend the entire grid from this. Oh, that's scary that we just said that. Yeah, I am surprised it's taken so long, says Colin Clark, Director of Policy and Research at the SUFAN Group, an intelligence and securities consultancy. If you have a modicum of knowledge of how drones work and you can access some crude explosives or just ram it into things, you can cause a lot of damage. The operator of the Pennsylvania drone appears to have attempted a less brute force approach, but efforts to hide the operator's identity may have contributed to their failure to connect with the intended target. By removing the camera, the joint bulletin says they had to rely on line of sight navigation rather than being able to take a drone's eye view. While this effort failed, the report's analysts are clear that it's unlikely to be an aberration. Anything, they expect to see drone activity increase over energy sector and other critical infrastructure facilities as use of these systems in the United States continues. That mounting threat has not been met with proportional mitigation. While the FAA does place limits on where consumers' drones can fly, security experts and drone manufacturers alike urged it to do even more. Just like the manufacturers of pickup trucks or mobile phones, we have almost no ability to control what people do with their drones once they have them, says DJI spokesperson, which is the company that supplied this drone, Adam Lisberg. DJI has long supported giving authorities the legal ability to take immediate action against drones posing an employer threat, and we have long supported laws penalize 
some intentional misuse of data. The FAA is still dragging its feet on its congressionally mandated requirement to develop procedures for critical infrastructure locations to request airspace restriction, Lisberg says. The agency has rulemaking underway to address that requirement, a provision of the FAA Extension Safety and Security Act of 2016, but did not provide a specific timeline. The FAA is aware of the July 2020 incident in Pennsylvania, the agency said in a statement. The agency works closely with the Department of Homeland Security and other federal state local and tribal security partners to support investigations into malicious drone activity. There are countermeasures that they're putting in place, like geofencing certain areas, which prevents non-compliant drones from flying there, are effective to a point, but the process of designating those spaces remains something of a patchwork, says Clark, and more aggressive anti-drone technology, which can range from signal jamming guns to mega drones to eagles often face regulatory challenges of their own. Opening every single power substation in the U.S. with drone countermeasures would also present significant financial and logistical hurdles. Eagles? Yeah, one of the ways that airports especially have been dealing with drones is they have people, I think they're called falconers or eagleers, and people with eagles and they've trained them to attack drones and just take them. No, what? Yeah, very real defense to drones. What? All they need to do is have an eagle put on every transformer station that gets food for killing drones. Simple enough. I mean, I guess. Then we're safe. Are there risks to the... Ugh, I guess we don't need to talk about this right now. But yeah, that's um, they've been doing it for a while and it's actually incredibly effective too. Do they actively do this? The eagles? Or like, yeah. no, they have to be trained to do it, but they will take them oh, out. How many are out there? Drones or like eagles? That eagles. Can... Drone destroying eagles. I don't know, but I would say okay. it's safe to assume it's over. It would be in like the dozens range. Okay, so not many. I'm glad I finally got you on something that you did not go off and research. Okay. <laughs> and you could I... finally say, I don't know. I would be very curious to actually know how many like professional eagle trainers are out there in the world. But then what sect of them saw that the future is in drone hunting technology and have started training them that. And was like, I have the perfect thing. And then, there's, and then there's the old snobbish like purest eagle trainers who refuse to even acknowledge drones as a thing in the sky. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad I picked that one up because you specifically didn't look into that. I finally have one out of all these episodes. <laughs> okay, you can continue. Okay, well that's the end of my drone talk. They're likely to happen again and they seem actually very easy to pull off. Sorry for saying that for we are now on that list that everybody kind of alludes to, but we'll be getting to talking to soon, I'm sure. It really does seem concerning that lit like drones not like there's the really expensive drones, but drones are not like expensive. You're like a pretty cheap one. Yeah, and you can outfit it like this could be a like anyone, like stupid kid. Yeah. Or something like that. Not it's not like evil billionaire that's going out buying a drone to do this. Exactly. Like it doesn't need to be a millionaire or a billionaire or another state. It is literally just somebody. Hell, you get drunk with a friend one Saturday night and you buy one on Amazon and then Yeah. And then you can outfit it like this. Okay, that's concerning. But after drones, we're just going to talk about pissed off individuals. Now, the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. has specifically talked about there being a rise in terrorist activity within the U.S., although it's more homegrown terrorism. 
activity this time around. Particularly pissed off right-wing extremists. And we're just gonna go through a few events that have passed, some of them with conclusions, some of them that haven't. And just see how easy it is to just attack the infrastructure. This one I call the Boston Incident. It took place on Monday, April 4th, 2016. And this is the Department of Justice's document that they released to uh, newspapers to kind of give you an outline of what happened. A previously convicted Chelmsford man was charged today in the U.S. District Court in Boston in connection with attempting to destroy high-voltage power lines with an incendiary device. Danny M. Kelly, now 61, was charged in a complaint with attempting to maliciously destroy and damage property used in the interstate and foreign commerce and in an activity affecting interstate and foreign commerce by means of fire. Kelly was detained following an appearance before the U.S. District Court Magistrate Judge Paige Kelly today. According to the complaint, on March 30, 2016, a Brush fire broke out near Locust Avenue in Tingsboro, Massachusetts, in the vicinity of high voltage power lines that bring power to the greater Boston area from Canada. After fire crews extinguished the fire, emergency and national grid officials observed several suspicious objects dangling from the power line. The objects were rendered safe by law enforcement officials and determined to be homemade incendiary devices containing materials which together make thermite, a substance oh that God, can what? cut through metal objects such as power lines. <gasps> At least one of the devices had been activated and fell to the ground igniting the bushfire. According to the complaint, federal agents also found a typed note on one of the high voltage grid poles. The unsigned note took credit for cutting the lines, threatened future attacks, and threatened to disseminate on terrorist and anarchist websites the instructions on how to make the thermite devices. But it didn't succeed? I guess not. As alleged okay. in the complaint, federal law enforcement agents quickly recognized several similarities this attack on the power infrastructure and an extortionate scheme in 2004 to 2005 in which Kelly had cut approximately 18 cables and telephone lines. The oh FBI God. also learned of recent shipments of Kelly's residence of chemicals from which thermite can be made. During the search for Kelly's residence, the FBI found an additional thermite that follows additional chemicals and other materials related to the crime. Kelly was convicted in federal court for the 2004-2005 crime and has a long history of grievances with the court system. This guy was just whipping bombs up at power line and he hit one. And it also caused a bushfire. That's pretty crazy, actually. It wasn't successful on any of them, was it? I think he was able to cut one of the power lines, but like he didn't do significant damage. Like, that's pretty crazy, though, that they're that susceptible to be able to, like, just, like... And apparently the things that he used to make thermite aren't, like, restricted. Like, they could retroactively look at it, but they didn't stop him from getting it. No, I guess he wouldn't be able to. Yeah, they, they just got into his hands. And apparently if you go on anarchist and terrorist websites, he might have posted how to do that. I, I recommend against it for, again, this is that whole list thing and we're getting close to being on it. So don't go on terrorist and anarchist websites looking for thermite bombs. Yeah, keep us off this list. That's the end of that one. This next one I find very disturbing. There is no conclusion. I'm just going to say that up front. And I just call it the sniper incident. On the morning of April 16, 2013, a team of gunmen using rifles opened fire on the Metcalf transmission substation, severely damaging 17 transformers. Prior to the attack, a series of fiber optic telecommunication cables operated by AT&T were cut by the culprits. 
Additionally, following the attack, investigators found small piles of rocks near to where the shots had been fired, the type of formations that can be used to scout firing positions. 17 Transformers were seriously damaged, requiring over $15 million worth of repairs. To avert a blackout, energy grid officials were forced to reroute power from nearby Silicon Valley-based power plants. While some nearby neighborhoods temporarily lost power, the big users weren't aware of the Metcalf event happened, according to an expert from the Electric Power Research Institute. Both PG&E, which is the big energy supplier in California, the company which operated the Transformers, and AT&T offered $250,000 rewards for any information leading to the arrest of the perpetrators of this attack. In 2014, PG&E announced that it intended to spend $100 million over the next three-year span on upgrading security at the substations throughout its territory, including the Metcalf substation. Former chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, John Wellinghoff, stated that military experts informed him that the assault looked like a professional job, noting that no fingerprints were discovered on the empty casing. While Wellinghoff described the attack as the most significant incident of domestic terrorism involving the grid that has ever occurred, a spokesperson for the Federal Bureau of Investigation stated that they did not believe a terrorist organization was responsible. Henry Waxman, a ranking member of the United States House Committee of Energy and Commerce, stated that the attack was an unprecedented and sophisticated attack on an electric grid substation with military-style weapons, communications were disrupted, the attacks afflicted substantial damage, and it took weeks to replace the damaged parts. Under slightly different conditions, there could have been serious power outages. The Department of Homeland Security last updated this in 2015, saying that it was likely done by a, quote, insider, unquote. And that's how it ends. What does that even mean? They think the guy might have worked for the company at some point, so he knew about it. Oh, I guess that would make sense. But that's all they can go on, and this is seven years old now. That is super scary. Like, these guys knew what they were doing, and they just, like, narrowly missed actually making a full-on disaster out of this. And, like, nobody knows who did it. Hell, they say a team. It could be one guy for all they know. It seems like it was damage that had to be done by more than that, but they, they don't know. I don't even know what to say about that. That's super, super concerning. Yeah. They have to know more than that. They have to. I mean, they might, but that's all they said. And to be fair, in the U.S., it's pretty easy to get guns. Yeah, it is. Next up, and this is even more topical than most of our topical news stories from the beginning of our episodes. This event took place on February 23rd of 2022. Like, we're almost like six months from this being allowed to be a a topical news start story. We're like five years from it being allowed. Yeah. This I have dubbed the Columbus incident, and again, this information comes from the Justice Department. Three men pled guilty today to crimes related to conspiring to attack power grids out the United States in furtherance of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremism advocating for the supremacy of the white race. Christopher Brenner Cook. 20 of Columbus, Ohio, Jonathan Allen Frost, 24 of Katy, Texas, and of West Lafayette, Indiana, and Jackson Matthew Sowell, 22 of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Oh my god, they're so young. Have each pled guilty to one count of conspiring to provide material support to terrorists. According to these pleas, three individuals engaged in a disturbing plot to attack our country's energy infrastructure, damage the economy, and stoke division in our society all in the name of white supremacy said Assistant Attorney General Matthew G. Olson of the Justice Department's National Security Division. The Justice Department will continue
continue to investigate and disrupt such violent plots and to hold perpetrators accountable in a courtroom where the rule of law and the constitution prevail. These defendants conspired to use violence to sow hate, create chaos, and endanger the safety of the American people, U.S. Attorney Kenneth L. Parker said. And just so we're on the same page, this is the Justice Department's official letter going out. They are not exaggerating what they're saying here. Just so we're all on the same page. The defendants in this case wanted to attack regional power substations and expected the damage would lead to economic distress and civil unrest, said Assistant Director Timothy Langan of the BIS Counterterrorism Division. These individuals wanted to carry out such a plot because of their adherence to racially or ethnically motivated violent extremist views. According to the court documents, in fall 2019, Frost and Cook met in an online web chat group. Frost shared the idea of attacking a power grid with Cook. And within weeks, the two began efforts to recruit others to join their plans. As part of their recruitment process, Cook asked literary questions and circulated a book list of reading that promoted the ideology of white supremacy. By late 2019, Sowell, a friend of Cook's in real life and online, joined the conspiracy and assisted Cook with online recruitment, operational security, and organization. As part of the conspiracy, each defendant was assigned a substation in a different region. The plan was to attack the substation or power grids with powerful rights. The defendants believed this plan would cost the government millions of dollars and cause unrest for Americans in the region. They had conversations about how the possibility of power being out for many months could cause war, even a race war, and induce the next Great Depression. Mm. In February 2020, the co-conspirators met in Columbus, Ohio, to further discuss their plot. Frost provided Cook with an AR-47, and the two took the rifles to a shooting range to train. Frost also provided Cook and Sowell with suicide necklaces. The necklaces were filled with fentanyl and were to be ingested if and when the defendants were caught by law enforcement. Both Cook and Sowell expressed their commitment to dying in furtherance of their mission. Upon arriving in Columbus, Sowell and Cook purchased spray paint and painted a swastika flag under a bridge at a park with the, con- with the caption, Joined the front. The defendant had additional propaganda plans for the time in Ohio, but they were derailed during a traffic stop during which Sowell swallowed his suicide pill, but ultimately survived. Court documents detail that Cook and Frost continue in furtherance of the conspiracy to travel together after their Ohio meeting and drove to Texas in March of 2020, where Cook stayed in different cities with various juveniles he was attempting to recruit for the plot. Cook, Frost, and Sowell were each charged by a bill of information that was filed on February 7th. The defendants face a maximum penalty of 15 years in prison. This happened less than a month ago. That's crazy. And you know they're not the only ones out there with that plan, too. No, and I was just going to say, it's not something that is readily like talked about or known, I'd say, until, well, at least for me, until I do my episode. So maybe you have to have a podcast and do an episode of it. But Oh, no, that's definitely those people are the least likely to commit terrorist activities. True, <laughs> true. But... Like, even the United States, the first thing they go to for war is, like, power. Yeah, destroy the power structure, power grid. So yeah. That, yeah. Like, I, it's not a well-known thing. Like, I'm not telling you to do that right now. I'm just saying, like, that's a pressure point. Like, it's a armpit or, like, fancy spot. <laughs> yeah, it's a fancy spot. <laughs> it's the fancy spot of a country. Yeah, that allows the arms and the legs to move and work. Yeah, and that's like where you would go to. And that's like terrifying. Yeah. Like someone's on to that. White supremacists, apparently. So that's, that's where scarier. we're at. 
these things, they happen. They continue to happen. Sometimes we catch them. A lot of the times we don't. Sometimes they are absolutely terrifying. We come very close to losing power in an area. Next, I was going to talk about EMP attacks in general, but I think Chelsea did a pretty good job in her last episode, and pretty much everything applies from that to the power grid as well, because transformers are just as susceptible, and I think you've mentioned them, to EMP bursts. But I am going to expand a little bit on that, in that natural EMP bursts can happen all the time, and they have happened in Earth's past in something called the Carrington Event, which took place on September 1st to 2nd of 1859. It was the most intense geomagnetic storm we have ever recorded in history, peaking at a solar cycle of 10. So it created a strong auroral display that was reported globally and caused sparking and even fires in multiple telegraph stations. The geomagnetic storm was most likely the result of a coronal mass ejection from the sun colliding with Earth's magnetosphere. Just so we're clear, in 1859, like the highest technology they had were telegraph stations. So basically everything we know about this is based on what happened to the telegraphs. And they got fucked up. The geomagnetic storm was associated with a very bright solar flare on September 1st, 1859, and it was observed and recorded independently by British astronomer Richard Carrington, which the event is named after, and Richard Hodgson. A geomagnetic storm of this magnitude occurring today would cause widespread electrical disruptions, blackouts, and damages to extended outages of the electrical power grid. Overall, less severe storms occurred in 1921 and 1960, when widespread radio disruption occurred. The March 1989 geomagnetic storm knocked out power across large sections of Quebec. And on the 23rd of July, 2012, a Carrington-class super solar storm was observed, but its trajectory narrowly missed Earth. How do we know then? We see it shoot off from the sun and we see the solar wind. So we kind of know what's going on. So we're all like, phew. Yeah, pretty much. And we've been lucky ever since. There's people who will do the daily like forecast for the sun and they'll tell you if a coronal mass ejection occurs. And they'll tell you like in a couple days we'll have some really good aurora borealis. Right, because they also make northern lights. So they're also dangerous. Yes. I had no idea. Beauty can be dangerous. We know that. We do know that. In June of 2013, a joint venture from researchers at Lloyd's of London in atmospheric and environmental research in the United States used data from the Carrington event to estimate the cost of a similar event to present day US. Oh God. And it alone for the US will be $600 billion to $2.6 trillion. Other research has looked for signatures of large solar flares and CMEs, coronal mass ejections and carbon-14 tree rings and beryllium 10 in ice cores. The signature of a large solar storm has been found for 774 common era or 80s and for 934 to 994 CE. Carbon 14 levels stored in 775 suggest an event about 20 times the normal variation of the sun's activity and 10 or more times the size of the Carrington event. An event in 7176 BCE may have exceeded the event in 775 based on this proxy data. Whether the physics of solar flares is similar to that of even large super flares is still unclear, and the sun may differ in important ways, such as size and speed of rotation from the types of stars that are known to produce super flares. So just to, it doesn't always happen, but it clearly at least happens in some sort of pattern that hits Earth quite a few times. And just, you know, when it hit in 775, it wasn't a huge deal because they didn't have any electricity. Yeah, this whole episode's making me a little nervous. 
our power grid is very close. Like if that happened, we will be fucked for so long. And this is the part that I really need to focus on now. Why are transformers so important? On average, to replace a damaged transformer takes 18 months. That is from when it breaks to getting it replaced. 18 months, a year and a half on average. It can get a little faster, but it can more often be two years or two years plus particularly if multiple of them are damaged at the same time. Why does it take so long? I will get to that in a second. So transformers are crucial because electricity is generated at fairly low voltage, but it's way more efficient to transport power at a significantly higher voltage. To this, you need transformers to move electricity from lower voltages to high voltages so it can travel through power lines. Then a second transformer is needed to drop the electricity back down to voltages that can be sent to the end user. When a large high voltage transformer is damaged, Damage. It typically takes one and a half, two years to build and deliver the replacement. And that is because they are custom made to fit because it really depends on what type of electricity you're working with and the levels of that. And the fact that there aren't that many places that actually build transformers in. That seems super like not, what's the word I'm looking for? Smart. Smart convenient anything of the matter of like we should have more of those yeah so i did a quick google search and i found nine companies that still manufacture transformers in the world of those one is in north america what okay but the demand is there are they not being paid enough for the transformers or like why are there not more companies is it like super hard most of them are in china that there like concerns me like what if there's a war or something yeah there are three manufacturers in china one in india and four in europe now again like we talked about last time europe does actually have a better power grid compared to the u.s and canada they seem more prepared to actually take on issues if they arise there's one in north america so what if that's the area that actually gets hit it's in houston what if houston is the first place that actually gets hit and it's an emp blast and it happens to be china who did it And right there, you just shut off like one of the biggest producers of Transformers in the world to getting it to you. And if multiple of them go out, like you're hoping that they all come from Europe, basically. (laughs) With that being said, Journey to the Fringe has put this together. So what's saying that China doesn't already know this information in the case that it wants to send out an EMP blast, which we talked about on my episode. I think we're a little cleverer than China. They're crafty, but not Journey to the Fringe. (laughs) This episode makes me scared. Yeah, and like, just to give you an idea, there was what was considered an accidental slip-up. Misconfiguration of marginal turbines for AGC load tracking at Scion Shushenskaya Hydro Plant in Russia in 2009, which contributed to the failure of multiple turbines. When this occurred, two 711 MVA generators exploded with extensive damage to the turbines. 75 people died, 40 tons of transformer oil released, and it took them five years to fix and replace the transformers. What? Sorry, it's five plus years. And it cost $1.2 billion to actually replace it. So why don't we like having more Transformers? There are plans in place to kind of have some strategically placed Transformers around. But part of it is, is that they're so custom made to fit 
and they are generally very reliable up until the day they die with you being able to readily predict when they'll actually break so the supply chain you can leave fairly long and uh, not worry about it too much like in its natural life of things yeah exactly i mean but that's like i just said in my last breath like <laughs> 10 minutes ago this is something that people like will strategically target and so it's of concern that they only plan for the natural life cycle of something when that's something that's knowingly targeted yeah and white supremacists have figured that out honestly it's a matter of time till one of these attacks actually hits and they're pretty scary people it is i mean it's only a matter of time when we talk about things there's natural like emp attacks and then you have all these people trying knock on wood with like deliberate attacks so it's only a matter of time until one gets taken out and like hopefully it's not around houston or maybe luckily around houston i don't know yet and again that was just a glancery look i i don't know how to google how to get manufactured transformers necessarily yeah. like i'm also wondering should i start a business making transformers i don't think you but... should because i wouldn't trust your transformers <laughs> I could learn. Like, what if the sun is like, hmm, Houston's the only place on this side of the world. Yeah. I do it doing like shifty eye with the sunglasses. Again. We don't trust that guy. We don't trust him. No. So there's like so many things just like waiting. That's where I, my notes end for this episode. I guess the big takeaway I can give you to this is this is all with regards to the power grid. So if you can remove yourself from the power grid, you stand a better chance to survive if things go wrong. I can't. I know. <laughs> Shit. Lowering your reliance on electricity is the easiest way to do it, because if you need less electricity, then they, we need less infrastructure to be able to get electricity. And this is the problem that we always run into. There's a specific law. I forget what it's called. But basically, whenever we find the capacity to create new energy, we don't stop using the old energy. We just add to the infrastructure itself. So like when we go green, so we create a green power plant. That doesn't mean we get rid of the other power plant. We just keep mm -hmm. all of the energy and we find a way to use all of the energy. That makes sense. So if we could actually lower our energy use, then hypothetically, this becomes less of a problem. So Sorry, we have no tips for yeah. how to stop using energy. No, no, go look that up yourself on the internet. <laughs> I'd like to know. Someone report back. I'm scared now. If you don't want to stop your energy consumption at all, then try to replace your energy use with stuff that does not come from the grid. You can get solar panels at Costco or other solar panels anywhere, wind turbines, geothermal energy. There are many that you can take that different sources of energy you can get that do not come from the grid, which frankly, I think is a lot of the reason that a lot of this becomes underreported at the end of the day, these stories that we're talking about, because yeah, I guess so, because energy is all regulated essentially by government. There, it's money not in somebody's pockets if you're making your own energy. So, of course, you're not going to hear about it. And there are, I know George Norrie was on it for a while. Like, I'm sure he still is that crazy bastard. Talking about we can actually take steps to retrofit the power grid in place so that it is more resistant to EMPs. It would cost billions of dollars, but it is significantly mm -hmm. less than an actual structural damage that yeah society would not be well off that is something you could talk to your public officials about you can also say that you have concerns with the power grid and see what steps that they are taking to make sure it stays secure Finny. they can at least bullshit an answer i guarantee you that <laughs> yeah. you'll feel safer exactly but don't tell them about us we might be put on a list <laughs> say, say you were just randomly thinking 
<laughs> Should I say anything to add? No, I don't think so. I've just been adding as we've been going. All significant scary things that I don't really want to think about, but we should think about. Gonna have to invest in some, not solar power where I live for sure, not solar power. Maybe rain power, but something. Because I'm, I'm concerned. But that's it. That's really all I have to input at this point. We have been Journey to the Fringe. Should it be necessary, we will be yelling our episodes live to the <laughs> audience if the power grid goes out. But until that time, I have been Taylor here with Chelsea. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review, as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes, or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh